Hello, it's just me today, and I'm going to talk about open book exams, among other things. Uh, Microsoft is going to make some of their certification exams open book in the sense that you will be allowed to use some Microsoft websites to look up information about their products, which seems like a very good idea to me. I remember when I got the Microsoft Windows Desktop Support Technician certification, a large portion of the training and the exam well, the training was about how to use the Microsoft knowledge base to find stuff, which was extremely interesting and important. And now that I think about it, I guess the exam couldn't exactly cover that, although that was a large part of the training. So it makes more sense, really. And this would make uh, the exam reflect more what you will really do on the job. You will not be devoid of reference works on the job. So this gets you to the other um, the next topic which is written up at theconversation.com, should AI be permitted in college classrooms? And they have four scholars weighing in. And as I've seen a general trend, the non-technical people very much do not want ChatGPT in the classroom because they say it will prevent students learning their topic. But the technical people mostly think it's probably fine, just like Microsoft, that uh, learning to use reference works and computer aid is logically part of the topic. So we're going to see, I'm going to see myself how uh, this semester goes with students possibly using ChatGPT. Um, and there's another article from SciTechDaily.com showing that the AI detectors are no good. And there was, a, I think, a New York Times article a month or two ago saying showing that these things are very ineffective at detecting AI-generated content. But this one had another thing, which I've noticed myself, which is that non-English speakers produce content which will be falsely flagged as generated by an AI. And that does kind of make sense. Um, you know, it, what you do is you look for sort of uh, broken English, words out of place, things that don't quite make sense. And uh, they show that that uh, obviously non-English speakers have those properties. So it's uh, people, English is second language writers. That's all. I got a lot of them. So that's why I'm not going to use any of those automated tools to detect AI. It would be extremely unwise to rely on any of those tools in my courses. <clears throat> So MetaMask um, is the crypto wallet most everybody uses, and it connects directly to web services, usually by clicking a link on a web page, which, by the way, seems like a really unwise decision to me, <laughs> a design decision, but that is how it works. And therefore, if they can just trick you into going to a different website and linking to it, people can drain your wallet, and all they have to do is get you to go to a place and be fooled. And what they found is some government websites in India, Nigeria, Egypt, Colombia, Brazil, and Vietnam, and other jurisdictions, they say, where they were able to redirect them to fake MetaMask websites. Now, they don't explain how they did this, but the most likely candidate that occurs to me is they just had open redirects. This is a fairly common web vulnerability where you have a page where you do something like log in or something, and when you click a button, it goes to another page on the same site, and the URL for that page is up in the URL of the first page. And that means you might be able to put a different URL there, and they call that an open redirect, where I can send you to a page that really is on, say, the Indian official government website, but when you click a link on that page, you, you are redirected out of the Indian um, domain to some other domain. It's a fairly common mistake people make, and uh, it would be an easy one to use for this. So you go to what appears to be a trustworthy URL, the real official government URL, and you end up at a fake scammer URL, which pretends to be MetaMask and tricks you into stealing your crypto. So it's not a bad scam, 
and the, and uh, that's not a bad vulnerability to exploit. And very many websites have it. All right. Uh, I was amused to observe that part of GCHQ, the British Security Agency, is something called NCSC. I don't really know what it is. I get the impression they're sort of like our NSA. But their new and first chief technical officer is Ollie Whitehouse, who used to be um, the CTO of NCC Group. And I know NCC Group very well, a British pen testing group. They hire a lot of our students. A lot of my best pen testing students have gone to work there and moved on to other jobs with uh, great success. So anyway, they say that this is very notable because they have a real expert in cybersecurity and that in a government position where typically you don't have that, they say he knows more than most whole governments do about cybersecurity, which is probably true. So that's a cheerful sign. There's a very good article at the Washington Post, and I put a link here, a gift link, so it bypasses the paywall. I'm talking about Kiwi Farms. Kiwi Farms has been in the news. It's a notorious stalker website where, like a lot of alt-right websites, people form mobs to go physically harass, intimidate, and drive people to suicide, typically because they're trans or gay or something like that. So they pick a victim, and they all mob this person and harass them and try to ruin their lives, often with great success, which is a very common activity on the right these days. You know, Donald Trump and Rudolph Giuliani, Rudolph Giuliani just got um, just lost a lawsuit for two election workers that he did this to, hounded with lies, him and Trump, to where they had to leave their home and their family and move to a different town and lose their jobs and basically ruin their life just by picking someone uh, because they're black or for some other reason and decide to just ruin their life. So this is a common activity that Kiwi Farms does, and that it's not easy to get them off the internet. There's a bunch of people, um, trans activists and people that just think Kiwi Farms shouldn't exist and want to drive them off, and they have a very good article explaining how they have tried to get them off the internet. And what they've done primarily is complain to their service, to the hosting providers, and drive them to more and more difficult hosting providers, which you can do. They also tried to get Cloudflare to block them, and I guess Cloudflare did at some point. And recently, Hurricane Electric tried to block them, and the Electronic Frontier Foundation came out and said they shouldn't have done that. Not that they want to support this website, but they think that blocking it at that location is unwise. And so it's uh, it's very informative. This is one of those really difficult battles that goes on. I remember it was big in Gamergate. In Gamergate, uh, a bunch of alt-right trolls or gamer trolls, whatever they were, but I think they were mainly all right. They wanted to harass some women game designers um, I think primarily because they wrote games that included women or appealed to women, and they didn't like that. But there were other complaints, I suppose. I remember there was something about how some line of plastic toys now had a female character, and they were very, very, very angry about that. Something of this sort goes on, and they decide to mob somebody and send them death threats and torture their family, and then people end up running scared and having to quit their job and move and all that jazz. And the question came up, can't we stop this? Can't we stop people from saying horrible things and abusing people on Twitter? And uh, the answer was largely no. Even at that time, before Elon Musk, Twitter was amazingly reluctant to remove obviously objectionable content that obviously violated their terms of service. And they attempted to have to implement more clear content moderation policies under Eli Roth, but Musk threw that all away. And it never seemed to work very well anyway. So it's a uh, it's a tough question. 
What do you do if somebody's putting up a horrible website? How do you get rid of it? And they have a good story here of how they, uh, they've convinced various companies to stop providing service and manage to limit its reach. But um, it's not easy to get anything off the internet. And there are strong reasons to for companies to dodge it. I certainly, if I was running Cloudflare, that's what I said about Cloudflare when the first time this came up, I said, I would not want my staff to start censoring the internet. I think that would go nowhere good. Nobody would thank us. It would turn into a disaster. We'd get all these demands to block things. Now my staff is supposed to hunt through the internet and rate things, PG and R and X, and block the ones that have a bad rating. This is insane. There's no way I could do it that would benefit anybody or lead to anything good. I would just uh, say I'm an intermediate access, like Comcast doesn't block the internet. You know, you just deliver it like a like a utility, and it's not you're not in the position as an in the middle where it makes any sense for you to try try field censoring the internet. But in fact, Cloudflare was pressured so much that they did block a few of the worst sites. And I, I, I thought, as usual, Matthew Prince had a good comment here, the CEO of Cloudflare. He said, you know, I did block a couple sites. We even blocked Kiwi Farms. And I sure don't miss having to, you know, support them or have arguments about what the horrible things they put up. But I still think it's not really the right place for me to be making this decision. It really ought to be the government making this decision. But of course, the U.S. government is paralyzed on internet filtering right now and many other things. Um, so... It's interesting to read. There is nothing resembling a conclusion here, but it's very interesting to read. There are a lot of victims of these online mobs that say you really should let us block them somewhere. And yet when you try to block them, other issues come up. So there's really two sides to it. Then I was very interested to read about BGP leaks. I've been talking about this for more than 10 years with my students. Uh, Border Gateway Protocol is surprisingly fragile. And every couple of, uh, maybe a couple times a year, somebody puts out a bad BGP route, which causes some part of the internet to misroute packets for a while and causes temporary outages. And this has been an issue in technical uh, networking for years. Why is BGP so bad and what can we do about it? And I was unaware of this. There were a couple of BGP leaks in August and they had minimal effect because there are defenses. And I was very interested to read about this. There are... Um, a couple of technical defenses that have been implemented to some extent, which limit the extent to which a bad BGP leak can go out. And the defenses sound sort of uh, reminiscent of anti-spam measures. Um, so anyway, uh, it's an interesting article at kentk.com, the company that notices it. And uh, I'm pleased to see some BGP defenses coming up. Although uh, they remind me of DNSSEC, they're only partially implemented in only some places, but apparently enough that they do have some effect to moderate the consequences of a bad BGP route going out there now. Uh, there's an informative article about an issue I've been hearing about for years on Wired Magazine, um, talking about Apple's child sexual abuse material scanning tool. Now, about two years ago, Apple announced they were going to put something on iCloud that would detect if you had child pornography on, on your account and immediately like turn you into the government. And a bunch of like anti-child pornography groups came out and said, this is a great idea. And within a month or two, Apple said, wait, we're not going to do that. We've heard complaints and uh, people say this isn't a good idea, so we're going to table it for now and review it. And now they finally said they're going to kill it. Uh, they're not going to do that because the privacy advocates have come up and convinced them that they would do more harm than good, which is uh, quite similar to the previous argument about Kiwi Farms. 
Uh, the idea being that if they run some kind of tool to scan the online repositories for forbidden content, then uh, for one thing, that tool could be wrong, and it has been wrong. Uh, people have tried to implement like AI tools to block child sexual abuse, and it has blocked parents trying to send pictures of their children naked to the doctor to get like a diagnosis of a disease. They've blocked them for being kiddie porn um, and got them in big trouble. So that's one thing. It'll probably have false positives, which will lead to disasters. But another issue they say is once you do this, now you're going to get a court order from, say, Saudi Arabia saying, uh, we want to execute all the gay people. You have to scan everybody's account for gay materials and let us know who those people are so we can execute them. And uh, that's a probably a perfectly valid legal court order from that country, expecting you to obey the laws in that country. Once you demonstrate the ability to do this, and Apple has a history of taking a hard line on this, which apparently they've gone back to. Remember, maybe 10 years ago when there was a terrorist that was shot and killed and had an iPhone, and the government said, we need to see what's on that iPhone. Apple said, we have privacy principles. We will not let the government on the iPhone. And they said, you're protecting the privacy of a dead terrorist. Where's the privacy principle here? And Apple said, if we make a tool that will hack into the phone, then people will demand that we hack into phones right and left, and we're just not going to do it. And they ultimately didn't do it, although what happened was the FBI just purchased a hacking tool that could punch right through Apple's security and do it anyway. So it's not like the users actually enjoy more privacy as a result, but Apple gets to maintain their image, at least, of saying, we protect your privacy more than other companies. And here they seem to have settled on that, although they say they are going to put some tool on the phone, which will scan for child sexual abuse material on the phone, or it's not entirely clear. Perhaps it will just make it easier for you to report child sexual abuse material yourself from your phone. They still try to do something about this, but not scanning iCloud. Instead, putting some kind of scanning tool on your phone, which would seem like it would just create all the same issues again. So I don't know if that's ever going to happen. That sounds like a half-baked idea that they will probably also decide not to do. And so uh, the internet privacy people will say, this is great and we have a victory. But what about the people that want to do something about child sexual abuse? You know, they've kind of got a point that, you know, we've got a real problem here. There are real children being killed and harmed here. And you people seem to always be splitting hairs and blocking everything effectively we want to do by claiming that in theory it'll damage somebody's privacy somewhere. We're like, you know, you have to accept some amount of collateral damage to deal with this real problem. So this is why I think I'm generally more of a fascist than most people in this space. I think law enforcement has a point. And uh, the privacy people should not always win 100%. But uh, they appear to be winning this one. And the last one I saw it was interesting was an article at techcommunity.microsoft, part of Microsoft.com. Windows is going to disable TLS 1.0 and 1.1, which are the older versions of the encryption protocol used by web pages. And they have pretty much been abandoned ever since the Snowden revelations because of the lack of forward secrecy. When Snowden dumped out the NSA secrets, it revealed that they were relying on these older versions of TLS that used the same key for all your conversations with a server. So they will just archive all the encrypted traffic and then steal the key later and go back and, and decrypt it. And that's not possible with TLS 1.2 and 1.3. So it's um, 
that made those protocols suddenly much less popular. And a lot of people upgraded to more modern versions much more quickly than they would have otherwise because there was a real scandal where it appeared like the previous protocols were not protecting you enough. But anyway, if anybody is still using those old protocols, soon it will be disabled in Windows. Not, of course, disabled to where you can't use them at all. You can go into the registry and change a registry key to enable the legacy protocols. But this is just Microsoft very strongly encouraging everybody to quit using old products that use those old encryption protocols, which is something you always have to do. Old encryption protocols keep going out of date and not being recommended. And uh, there reaches a point where they're not safe anymore and you have to quit using them. So Microsoft it seems like they're very much doing the right thing here to nudge people off of their old stuff they're running that they really should update to something more modern. Anyway, uh, that's all I had to tell you, and we'll have another one of these on Friday.